Welcome back to the TD Jakes podcast. This episode is the second part of our global think tank, Faith and Politics in America. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear more like it, join us at bishopsvillage.com, where we've made available to you the entire International Pastors and Leadership Conference. Not kidding. This includes all keynotes, all breakout sessions, and all global think tanks. We've never done anything like this before. We literally just put the entire conference online for your viewing on demand. Start your free trial today and relive the International Pastors and Leadership Conference anytime, anywhere at bishopsvillage.com. We have to stop compromising our beliefs. We're so busy trying to get something, get the photo op, get a program, get some money, get this thing. We're so busy trying to get something for ourselves that we forget we owe our ministry to the one that called us and to the people that sit in our pews. And you mentioned earlier about Democrats and Republicans. There should always have been a third party. It's called the faith party. That should have always been a party. But I think the reason, Bishop, we don't come together is because we see what we're going to get out of it and how much influence I can have. And the problem is there's this Judas spirit in the church. And I'll sell out. (laughs) Afterwards, I believe it was the wrong thing. Now, nobody's going to hang themselves, but they believe there was the wrong thing. But there's no room for Judases in heaven. I believe. Hallelujah. You know, it's said when some people get to the White House, going into the Oval Office and that inner circle is like kryptonite. You forget what you're going to say. I can't speak like Joshua can to eight years or Bishop Harry Jackson can for the multitude of years. I cannot do that. I can only speak to a current situation that I'm involved in. Mm -hmm. And I can say, Bishop Jackson, that has not been my experience that I have been able to bring both from what people would say, the Democrat and the Republican side together. Anyone who, I mean, in some tough settings, and I'm not talking about five minutes photo op. I've never had a photo op with him. I'm talking about six hours, two hours, three hours, being heard. I know Bishop's been in a few of those meetings of hundreds of voices being heard that would be very different. There are things coming up this week that will be spent a three-hour meeting with clergy, with voices on issues. So it's activation. To me, politics is organization activation. I can't speak on behalf of what I've not been involved in, but what I have been involved in, I do see that there are voices, even different voices, and the problem, we all assume something. I think there's assumptions. They're shut out. There's assumptions. That's not always, at least that's not my experience right now with other clergy. All right, well, there's... Are you comfortable with the direction this administration is taking as a Christian? Um, you know... <laughs> I mean, there might Guys, be elements, but I mean, overall... First off, Bishop Jakes is my spiritual father, and I always honor and respect him. I'm not comfortable with a lot of things, Bishop. I'm not comfortable with a lot of things, but I go back to saying that if that were a Democrat administration, if that were a Republican administration, I probably, as a person, am going to find fault with both because if it's not in alignment with what I see as the infallible word of God, I'm not going to be in agreement with it. Which is precisely my point. There were elements of the previous administration that I was uncomfortable with, and I said so. And Joshua knows I said so, right out in front of him. I absolutely said so. My question then becomes, no matter who is in the White House, again, you're going to find yourself in a situation where they move in areas for whatever reason that make us feel uncomfortable 
And I am saying, so that we don't end up with egg on our face, whether you are right or left, how do we find our distinctive voice, hold to our principles, and hold them accountable when they get across the line? We all have said things behind closed doors, but then out of respect, we kind of digress when it comes to public interviews. How do we regain the integrity of being Christians and stand autonomous from the people with whom we are associated. That's so important. Just a quick story. There's a gentleman that lives in Atlanta, Georgia. His name is Dr. Joseph Lowry, co-founder of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Dr. King. And Dr. Lowry was a strong supporter of then-Senator Obama on the campaign. I traveled with him for a year. He would speak on his behalf and said that we need to elect the first black president and believed in his policies. But then once we got in there, he supported him on some things, but there was a couple of things that he didn't support him on, including a federal judge that he wanted um, nominated uh, in Georgia. And he would call and say, I'm about to march on the White House if y'all don't do something about this. This man is 90 years old, but he still kept holding people's feet to the fire. We need folks that are willing to do that, as Bishop has done as others, that we can't just give ourselves um, uh, to somebody publicly and then hold them accountable privately. We have to continue to voice these concerns in the public square. Let me jump in here and dig a little bit deeper because I think we're all thinking presidential. But there is a deterioration on a local level of elected officials in the areas that are hardest hit to which largely African-American bases have been loyal to. Hats off, there are many, many things about President Trump that make me uncomfortable. But there's one of the things that he brought up that I think that we really need to dig down into and hats off to him for bringing it up because traditionally Republicans don't talk about inner city problems at all, period. None, ninja, Nadia, okay? It's like they go blind to the fact we will send money to Africa, right? but it flies over top of Watts and Queens and the Bronx and South Dallas, and we brag about missionary endeavors in third world countries, and we almost have a third world country here with the deterioration of middle class, and I'm wondering when that compassion is gonna run into our own city streets. I don't think that the total problem rests on the doorsteps of the White House when you have the cities moving in the direction of local government where we don't even come out and vote. And we often have those constituencies, largely Democratic, who are saying that they care about our causes, but yet the cities where they have had the longest tenure of reign are laying in ruins and in waste. And I think we have had fidelity in those areas in a way that is detrimental to the well-being of our communities, and they too need to be held much more accountable than they are right now. That's what I think. Can I jump in there? If you're dealing with Democrat versus Republican, one of the realities, to Bishop Jakes' point, is that if Republicans feel that they're never going to get a black vote anyway, then why do they need to think about policies that help black people? Why do they need to invest money in coming and telling you their opinion? So I've watched, as we've interacted with many conservative folk, them say, well, we'll get to the minority vote later. And what we have is... The Democrats show up on the Sunday before the Tuesday. And it's sort of like showing up at midnight and they're knocking at your door. They want what they want, when they want, the way they want it. And then next week, you don't get flowers, you don't get dinner. You have just been used. So you're going to have to realize if we don't decide, 
that we're going to vote in our own interests at the local level, yes. guess what? The Calvary is not coming. All right. Let me jump right in. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to jump. Yes, I had the privilege of interviewing. This is a shameless plug. April Ryan on my podcast. And you need to go on my podcast and check it out because it was absolutely unbelievable, exhilarating, incredible. Hats off to you for that. In the interview, I brought up something that I wanted to hear the panel address. I think we are living in two different spheres. What's going on in the political sphere is determined by a political party. Yeah. What's going on with the people, both black and white, is just human need. The stats suggest that many of the same people who voted for President Obama turned around and voted for President Trump. The ideologies are totally different. We describe it as Democrat and Republican, but the needs of the people is just the needs of the people. People. And I want to hear you address how did we get so disconnected that if you don't get our vote, you don't care about us, and yet you're a party that's promoting family and righteousness and morality? Then take down the banner of the blood and put up the banner of the party and shut up with the scriptures because I shouldn't have to vote for you for you to care about me. This is my question because I think we have a real big problem in this country because it's almost like a head disconnected from the body because the head is making decisions based on who I can get to vote for me because they are so drunk with power that they have lost the care of the people. And the people are jumping from side to side to side to side to side, just begging somebody to change a political system that is totally toxic. And I suggest to you today that we can change the chef all we want to, but the real issue is the oven is broke. Bishop is absolutely right. I agree. What happened is, and I think in the last two elections, presidential elections and in other elections, local elections, I believe President Obama was one of the ones who started off this, this change thing. I'm not even going to say it was about the color. It was about black. I think it was the fact that America wanted something different. Yeah. They didn't know what, what, and they got something different. <laughs> and I believe people are so hungry for help, a fix, People are hurting. People are yes, really are. hurting. And the church is the answer in a lot of ways. Right. And Bishop brings up something so relevant. Pull out your Bibles. Matthew 25, 31 through 45. Pull them out. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. <laughs> I want to annotate it. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. But right now, they're cutting school lunch programs for kids in our schools. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, but right now Flint, Michigan's water is still dirty. Right. I was a prisoner and you came to visit me, but right now the Justice Department is turning its back on prisoners. Right. So this is real life right now. Matthew 25 is coming alive all around us and we need the church to speak out. When you look at the practical examples as the people, I think that Bishop, what's happened is we have looked for, whether it's Obama or whether it's Trump or whoever, we're looking for pastors from the White House. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And I think the reason we're doing that because the church has gotten spiritual laryngitis and shut up and not doing what it's supposed to do. Whether it is in the city, whether it is in the state, whether it is in the county, whether it is in the federal government, you're absolutely right. We're so busy being safe. We want to yeah. get along and we want to be we want to have our be at the, be at the at the prayer breakfast and be at the invocation and be the benediction. Shut up and go back to the Bible and serve the people in the church. 
We need a revolution in the church before we can do it in the country. Something that's vitally important to me here, and I'm going to keep going back, and I think we're all saying the same thing. And Bishop, you, you, not all the exact same thing, but thank you for doing this because this is how we start to bring change. When you're saying Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me, who was he talking to, though? He wasn't talking to the government. I want to bring my power to change the government. That's an important point. I I believe in the church, too. And I think I'm a fairly strong voice in the church. Let let me say something about that because, and this is important because we can love each other and not agree about everything. That's okay. That's okay. At the end of the day, we can still be Christian. We don't have to agree with each other about everything. But this is important. I really want to discuss what she just said because that is a narrative that I also bought into. It is this narrative, and I want to get this on record. It is the narrative that is heralded over the pulpits all over America that the welfare of the poor should be provided by the church. Okay? That is the narrative. Paula didn't go that far with it, but that is the narrative that we are told and taught consistently. That it is the church's job to be participatory in taking care of the widows. And the Bible said that. And that we should clothe the naked and feed the poor. Here is the reality. That is the ideal. If you just do the math... If you just do the math, if you take the gross national income of all the churches in America, if we didn't pay the mortgage, if we didn't pay the staff, if we didn't pay the light bill and took all of our money and gave it all away to the poor and became homeless to feed them, we still don't have the money when we are taking 10% of a few people's income and they're taking 35% of everybody's income, I'd be that gone if I should have to feed everybody by myself. Now, when I did the math on it, I realized that what I am asking the people to do doesn't work. I can help. I can help. I can do my part. I can participate. I can join in. But why did you take 40% of my check and then tell me that I got to turn around and take another 10% to do what you're not doing? When I gave the 40, I thought you were going to feed somebody. And I think we need to rise up and challenge people. Come on, Bishop. Because I switched on that. I used to say that too until I got a calculator. And I added it all up and I started feeding hungry people myself. And if I fed all the hungry people in my zip code, I would have to not pay my staff and they would be hungry too. So at what point, if you're going to take my money, I don't get to give it. You take it before I ever get to see it. I think you can't have 40% of my check and absolve yourself of the responsibility to help feed my community. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I don't buy that. I used to buy it. I used to buy it. I used to say it. But when I added it up, it's easy to say that when you live in neighborhoods like we do. But when you actually start feeding them and don't touch health care, right. when you start talking about a, a prescription for blood pressure being $400, $600 for one grandmama who's got five different right. conditions in her body, I don't think the church could do it if we all went bankrupt trying. But, but, 
Go ahead, Bishop. Okay. I'm sorry. I just don't agree. I just. No, you're right. Okay. You're right. We're to help them, but not to let them off the hook for what they take our money and say they're doing. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And I'll feed them if you give me my 40% back. <laughs> give me my 40% back, and maybe I could do it. But don't leave me with 10% okay. of a third of my That's congregation right. and tell me to go do what you say has increased the national deficit when you got 40% and 30% and I got 10% of a few faithful people. The math just doesn't work. Go ahead, Bishop. Preach. Preach. Preach, preach, preach. Bishop, preach. I don't need a scripture. I don't need a newspaper. All you need is a calculator. If you got a calculator, you can figure this out. Daddy, I go Bishop. I want to do it. I have a heart to do it. We can't do it. Bishop, it doesn't add up, but neither does the $7 trillion debt we have right now. So... The church doesn't have the money. But, and I agree. Wait, 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 just one second. The whole, everything's got to be overhauled. And I believe what you said is so critical, and I want to go into that. And that is that it starts at a local level of holding accountable and the church working with government partnership on a local level, changing our communities, changing our churches, changing our families, because it doesn't add up on the calculator of the U.S. national debt either. The national debt is important. The debt owed to our communities is even more important, though. These are issues that have been stacking up for a long time. A lot of folks say, well, if the church just, just stepped up, I want everybody to go to an organization called Bread for the World. It's a faith-based organization that works on hunger issues here in the United States. And they have done the calculations. They've used Bishop's calculator. And they've added it all up and said that if every church in the country maxed out their spending on food and hunger issues, that would only cover about 6 to 7% of the hunger issues in our country. 93% is government. That's food stamps, SNAP program. That, by the way, that's another huge myth around that. People think that that's people abusing the system and so forth. Most of the people using SNAP are working families. And guess what? Most of them are actually not people of color. That's the federal school lunch program where kids who sometimes that's the best meal they get is breakfast and lunch. And they're going after that and right now. And they're trying to cut it off right now. 7% is the church. 93% is that money that they're taking out of your check and need to give back to the debt that they owe our communities. That's the debt that I'm concerned about. But Josh, let's, the devil is in the details on that SNAP program. They're saying that the SNAP program, there's no evidence that it's working because it's meant to help children learn and have more educational prowess. But how is a child going to learn when if they're he's hungry? hungry. Listen, if, if every, and this is another cross the aisle thing, if every person who voted for Donald Trump could reach out to their legislatures and say, hey, listen, uh, y'all can do what you want about this issue or that, but protect those who are hungry. Don't cut these school right. lunches. Don't cut SNAP. This is hungry, working people. This is the working poor in our country that, you know, folks like my grandmother, Katie Lee Sinkfield in Nashville, would use her money for as much as she could and use a little bit of support for just that balance. These are not folks who are trying to bleed the system dry. These are people who are just trying to survive. Let's support them. But that is the narrative. See, this is why I thought April conducting the session is very important because that is the narrative 
depending on what station you listen to, that is described about poverty, that these are just lazy people who are wanting to live off of the government. So once you castigate the integrity of a person who's poor, you dry up the bowels of compassion because you describe somebody that you have never met. That you have never met. I have been poor. It's really not cool. (laughs) Nobody wants to be poor. And the little bit of money that the government gives you is not enough to walk across the street. So what we really need, if Paul's point is true, and I accept it looking at the national deficit, that we can't just continue to go in debt. And then what we salve ourselves with in churches, that the church needs to do it, but the reality is the numbers don't add up. Then what we need is jobs and opportunities to decrease the amount of people who need assistance. You're always going to have somebody who needs assistance because of health reasons, age, circumstances, lack of education. But if we would fix our criminal justice system, if we would fix our education system, we're now number 25 in the world. We used to be number one. Now America, not black, America in general is number 25 in the world. It used to be children around the world were dying trying to get to America to get an education. Now they're going to the UK and other places because our school systems are laying in ruin. And the criteria for getting a job requires more education than it ever did before. We need to create jobs for ordinary grassroots blue-collar workers and we would decrease the amount of people that needed assistance then the program would work like it was supposed to but you can't tell people get out and get a job when I have a criminal record somewhere in my past the same person who tells me I ought to be working is the same person who says you won't hire me and you won't give me a place to stay what am I going to do you won't hire me you won't rent to me I can't get a job you don't want me to get back on drugs how can I feed my family and get off assistance without an opportunity. Bishop Jakes, Pastor White has that same... You said, how can I get off? Bishop, the same way you and I did. I was on welfare. I was on WIC. Brad, stand up. I had him. I was an 18-year-old. He won't stand up. I was 18 years old, pregnant out of wedlock, and... But Living were you an ex-inmate? Were you an inmate? No, with I, no, no, no. I'm not talking about the inmate or record. Okay, okay. I'm not talking about criminal justice. We're talking about the poverty situation. And but the they're court. connected. I, they're I get connected. It. You're right. Because, you're right. Because until you get a just system, I agree. Because I agree. now we don't incarcerate people for being guilty. Because if you're guilty and got money, you can get out of anything. We incarcerate people for being broke. It's all about poverty. Exactly. It's about poverty and locking them in. Absolutely. Listen, we have the Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative. I know what I'm talking about. We have worked 10,000 inmates through our program. This is not philosophical ideology. We are on ground level zero with this every day. I see the hopelessness in the eyes of fathers and mothers who want to do exactly what you and I did, Paula. But because of that question on the application, they can't get a fighting chance to feed their own children. We have got to fix this. And the other thing you have to realize, there's a difference between the poverty that we experience and the poverty that's going on in South Dallas. I was broke 
but they wasn't shooting at me. I was broke, but they wasn't throwing my babies out of windows. I was broke, but they weren't killing on my sidewalk. We have got to clean this problem up. It's a serious problem. The right and the left both care about it. When are we going to find our voice and fix this? We can't be like Jesus and ignore the suffering people in our community. I think we all agree on that one, Bishop. How can we unite? I'm glad we agree. How can we unite and come together and build a strategy that moves things forward when we have a system of common need? The same thing in the Rust Belt cities, the same thing that they're angry about is the exact same thing that the inner cities are upset about. It's not a black-white issue. Broke is broke. Hungry is hungry. Naked is naked. Rust Belt are saying, you ignored us. Inner cities are saying, you ignored us. When are the people at the top going to hear the people at the bottom and bring about some change? I don't care what you call the party. Fix the problem. You're exactly right. And let me just say something very practical in response. If every pastor that supported Donald Trump on Monday morning got up and went to go tell Attorney General Sessions that we want to pass criminal justice reform, and they told him the same thing, that bill would be passed. If every evangelical that supported this current president mobilized, and Bishop is doing this, if they mobilized around these issues and said, I may be conservative on some things and not on others, but we're going to get behind this. If they did that, if they put themselves on the line and put themselves out there to pass criminal justice reform, that legislation would be passed. That's what we need our folks to put themselves... Is it just the people who voted for him? No, no, no. I'm just saying if they joined across both sides. If they joined, okay. If they joined, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. We've been all fired up and ready to go. We have talked a good talk. I mean, I'm ready to jump over pew. I'm feeling good. In the Potter's house with Bishop T.D. Jenks. So... I haven't told y'all I was a fan from when he was in West Virginia talking about get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. But, <laughs> but let me say this. It's one thing to sit up here and feel all this. I want each and every one of you who's a leader to stand up. Who's a leader? Now the pastors, stand up. Who's committed to make change? We can talk all this stuff. But if each and every one of you in this building commits this moment in this church, I don't care if you're Muslim, if you're Christian, if you're a woman, if you're black, if you're white, if you're Asian, if you're Hispanic, are you hurting? You ain't hurting. You just ready to jump over pew when Bishop Jake says something. Are you hurting? Are you ready for change? All right. So now what we're going to do, we're going to shift the next 14 minutes and 33 seconds. What are the solutions? How do you strategize? Each and every one of you who stood up, you listen, and you come some kind of way and come together. If you want to make change, it comes together in communities, consistently and persistently. And also what the squeaky wheel gets what? The grease. All right. What's the strategy, Paula White, since you've got the ear of this president? <laughs> I received that by the grace of God. Amen. And that we it will, wasn't shade. It wasn't I know. shade. No. April and I love each other. We gotta we going to lunch soon, all right? No, I'm glad. I'm glad if you do yes, have sir. the ear of this president. I'm glad. Yes, sir. I'm glad. 
carry this message back to him. We don't care what he calls himself. We don't care what color he is. We care about anybody who cares about us and the people we represent. Now, I'm okay. I won't lie. I'm okay. Whether he changes it or doesn't change it, I'm okay. But that's irrelevant to the fact that I represent people who are suffering, who are in need exactly. and in crisis, exactly. and I cannot fix it by myself. Exactly. For the next four to eight years, we have him. If you have, and I don't want to leave this weight on you. I don't think that's fair. Now, I'm not leaving it on you. But how do we, under this current administration, get these issues to the forefront of the conversation? First thing that I think has to happen, Bishop Jakes, is again, I'm going to go back to what you're doing right here. You can never bring a solution without identifying the problem. I think half the time we don't even understand, and I believe that if we start throwing out statistics, take criminal justice, Black Lives Matter, take things, people don't understand that it's a due process. I'm saying in general, in general, they don't understand some of the disproportionate. Not up on this panel, April. Not maybe sitting in here. Are you saying in the White House they don't understand? No, 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 no. I'm saying the common person on the street. They the, understand. The, the, they see people. Wait a minute. No, wait a minute. No, no. Wait a minute. Let's a minute. not let's not discredit no. the mind. No, no, no. People see people shot. I'm not talking and die on the street. I'm not they talking about in the African American There was an injustice. But you just said Black Lives Matter. No, I'm not talking in the African. I'm talking about if you want to start bringing change, because there were several things referenced. I'm saying that there are people that are evangelicals. There are people in the white community. There are people in the, that we don't understand all situations. So there has to be education. There has to be understanding. And so if there's not education and understanding, there are many things I don't understand. So I'm saying I don't understand things that maybe Josh or Bishop Jackson or you know or, or Father Michael knows. There has to be education, understanding, and then some kind of unification. I'm going to go that back to Matthew access. 25. What did you say? Gave me something to eat. <laughs> when they were hungry. I just yeah. want to say one little thing because I live in both worlds. And Bishop Jackson and I initially incubated the effort to bring both evangelical, white evangelicals together with inner city pastors. We championed that cause in the embryonic stages of the reconciled church. Yes. She's exactly right. The book of Ezekiel said that he went to the rivers of Shabar in the heat of his spirit. And when he got there, he sat for seven days in astonishment because what he thought What's the problem? Was not the problem. Because you get your news from people who think like you think, then your truth is shaped by the world you live in. And she is absolutely right. There is a need for education on this issue. I don't think that we can have reform. What we're skirting around is that the church is divided. The church is divided. And it's not just by politics. It's also by race. And the reason you don't understand is you cannot understand people you don't sit with. I'm not talking about a few people who come in and sing for you. I'm talking about a relationship where you actually become engaged and involved with people and get to know who they are. But ignorance is no excuse because if you can understand the plight in Africa, yeah. When we got together, Bishop Jackson and I got together and we started holding the meetings, one, it was amazing. The pastors were astonished. They were shocked as we began to unveil this issue and they were touched. 
How do we penetrate these barriers in a real way when the church, the Baptist people, fellowship with Baptist people, Methodist people go with Methodist people, all the different groups and segments and descriptions of people, that polarization on the level of our leadership is causing us not to have a unified voice. And I really do agree, and I know some of you might not. I think Paul is absolutely right. People live in a bubble. And we are becoming more segmented and more tribal than we have ever been before. The birthing of social media allows you to log on to what you want to hear. The polarized view of the news allows you to listen to who's speaking your language. There is no safe place to get a unified truth that is not diluted or polluted with a perspective or spin. That was also true during the civil rights movement. It wasn't like the press was supporting the civil rights movement. The church became the press in our community. Yeah. How do we get that to spill over where we can get people to come out of the pulpit who are talking about things they do not know and we can educate each other so that we can appear unified on some issues? Every time we get close to unity... We divide into politics and back apart. So how do we change that, Bishop? Well, I think the political thing is our biggest divide. I think we're letting politics and allegiance to these folks divide us at the core. In all deference to you, Joshua, and you, April, there's been a Democrat-Republican thing going on here that's not really been conducive to the discussion. So you, you just need to I never recognize that. I'm talking about as a black woman who's here. I'm not, I, I hear you, but I, I hear, I hear I, politics. I, I'm not talking politics about myself. There is a political issue here. You have the ear of this president. You have the ear of this president. You have been in Chicago fighting each system, but we know where you lie, and we know where you lie. So, I mean, if you had I, Bill O'Reilly, I guarantee you would be skewed right. Okay, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to attack you. I know, I'm just, I'm I'm just trying, trying to be I'm clear. Just saying. I can't help it if clear makes you angry. But I need you to understand this. We're not going to change this administration in another direction just by standing up on the chair, haranguing and going on and on. I think people of stature that are here on this platform, and Bishop Jakes and others, that we can talk to, and at least present our case to this administration. A whole lot of black folk have just written Trump off for a number of reasons, and they sure have. I mean, I have a daughter who's one of those not-my-president people. So I understand the pain that we're dealing with, but as I started out talking about in Joel 3, I believe God's shaking this thing up, and if this president doesn't deal with these issues, he won't be president long, and... Wanting to go back to, forgive my statement, a jacked up Democratic administration. And I'm not saying that Obama's administration was jacked up. I'm saying there were no more solutions than you have now. We are in the middle of a vortex. I'm convinced that God has a mediated judgment on America. And the question is, and you're challenging me, Bishop Jakes. Question is, will I be man enough to stand up and say, what little area I got, I'm going to go in peace, but I'm going to go in truth. And I'm going to talk to the powers that be that I have access to. And would you consider 
voting people out of office at that local area that aren't doing anything but talking. You see, in most cities, black folks elect folks who are a part of the politics of grievance. They articulate your pain better than somebody else. Therefore, you elect them to another term in which they will do nothing. They won't create any more policies. They're not going to change your world. Black and white isn't working. Democrat versus Republican isn't working. We need, and I think we tried to do this a couple of years ago, Bishop, but what makes me saddened is, and I'm not trying to blame whites either, but I hear a lot of evangelicals come to a meeting like this. They'll be sad for a minute, get all guilty, and they'll go back. And when their pain subsides, because they don't have personal pain, then they stop acting. And so I believe there's hope right now. And I don't think God is going to let us just be at peace when people are being shot in the street. Thank Amen. you, April. And pain has pain, pain. Right. Is universal. It has no color, it has no gender, and it has no political affiliation. So in the 354 that we have, each one of you, all of these people stood up. How do you direct each person to go back to their community to effectuate change for the good in a Christian light with biblical principles to effectuate meaningful change in the locale that can trickle up to any president, Democrat, Republican, or independent? Thank you. To Democrats and Republicans, hook our wagons back up to the gospel of Jesus Christ, number one. Understanding I like that. that what we do in here does not make us church. This is the huddle. Nobody goes to a game to watch a huddle. What they want to know in the streets is, what are you going to do when you get out of the huddle to make something different in the game and win the game? We got to understand, going to church don't make us nothing but religious people. When we get out of the church and transform our homes, our blocks, our neighborhoods, city hall, the state government, and the federal government, and reminding them Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because it was so evil, because righteous people would not stand up. It's time for the church to stand up and be who God called us to be. If you're a pastor, you immediately start within your church starting with education and understanding, go to local government, get involved. You have to know who your politicians are, start bringing change, start doing your not only church events, but we built one of the largest churches in the nation at one time. I did uh, prior without walls. It had 250 outreach ministries that trained over 6,000 organizations. Bishop Jakes knows very well that that's what we do. We were in, had five outreaches this past weekend. We're in 49 of our local schools. We feed how many thousands of pounds of foods every single week. And it's like, if it doesn't start with our members and our pastors and our community leaders and reaching out, this is rhetoric. So it has to be action. And we start on a local level. And then there are people with voices of influence, Bishop Jakes, myself, everyone on this panel that go to that next level, that next level, that next level. Just a couple practical things. Every pastor in here should have a relationship with their local police chief or police commissioner. They should know who you are. You should sit down with them and ask, are y'all doing implicit bias training? What is going to be your response if there's ever a police-involved shooting? Where are you on these issues? If you don't know their name and if you don't know their policies, then we're not doing everything we can to address these issues before folks start pouring out into the streets. I agree with Pastor White that we need both that local action and the federal action as well. 
And then I would say, let's get together around a bipartisan consensus on criminal justice reform. We keep talking about that over and over again. Bishop Jackson is pulling this together. The Reconciled Church is working on this. We need to all come together to pass criminal justice reform. But we also, and this is, you know, that maybe this is me being a progressive, we also need to pay attention about what's happening right now. Because there are some strange things happening in this country. And I don't mean to be divisive. You know, sometimes folks say that in order to be civil, you have to just go along to get along. I don't believe that. I believe that Fannie Lou Hamer was very civil, but she spoke out when she saw something was wrong. And today they have announced that the new proposal for health care on the table, and I mentioned this before, is to withdraw coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. There's something wrong with that. And we need every church member speaking out about that. And so I think it's a both end of resistance and cooperation when it makes sense for our community. Tell them where to speak. Because what, what they're going to do is they're going to preach about it Sunday. Nobody's going to hear them but their congregation. It's a great question, Bishop. So where to speak? A couple very specific things. Every member of Congress has a district office. So they go to Washington and they vote on legislation there, but then they come back here and they have an office that has to meet with you if you set up an appointment and come in. You can call them and set up an appointment and say, hey, I am concerned about what's happening, what I'm hearing about cutting food assistance. I'm concerned about what's happening with cutting health care. And those things matter. They add up. They count every meeting. They count every phone call. And they vote in one direction or another on that basis. Y'all remember that health care bill that failed a few weeks ago? It was because people called in and you had members of Congress tweeting and saying, I got 133 people that reached out to me and said to vote no on this. So I may have voted yes, but you know what? I'm going to vote no. They're expecting you to not reach out. They're expecting you to not raise your voice. If you go to those district offices, if you make those phone calls to both Democrats and Republicans, I agree with Bishop Jackson. The Democratic Party has absolutely taken black folks for granted. Absolutely. And so you need, and the Republicans as well. Yeah. But if if you speak out, you go to the district offices, you make the phone calls to the Capitol switchboard and let them know that matters. It may not feel like it does, but it can move the needle in one direction or another. Bishop? Let me, first of all, thank you, Bishop Jakes, for having this discussion. This is important. See, we haven't been able to come together because we haven't been able to talk. I've got a pre-existing condition. I nearly died of cancer 10 years ago, gone through a bunch of stuff. So I'm very sensitive about the healthcare issues. But if we engage, I believe this system is wired so it can respond to us If we engage too many of us African-Americans, we don't register, we don't vote, we won't serve on a jury, and then we blame the white man. The white man did us wrong. Well, you didn't show up for jury duty. You weren't one of the people that was there. So I think this is very, very positive, and I'm going to pledge to you. Now, we're working on some things right now. We're going to meet with some people. We're going to do the best that we can at that high level. Pray with us and for us, but let's vow to make a difference where we live, in the communities that we live. And again, I honor Bishop Jakes for his passion and the fact that he has had courage to build this tremendous ministry that's making a difference. Let's give him a round of applause. Let's give Jesus the glory. And thank you, Sister April. This has been very wonderful. Bishop Jakes, go ahead. This is my action strategy for pastors. Everything everybody said is amazing, wonderful, giving us our marching orders. It's why we are here. 
we want to shift things. We want to change our world. I realize that we cannot remain autonomous and apart from the world around us because the world around us affects us. And many of the problems that we're having with our parishioners are not within our purview to fix. If you're pastoring people that are sick or that are broke or that are incarcerated, it affects the whole vision of your ministry. And so we have to become engaged in those issues if the church is going to remain vibrant and alive. But my challenge to the pastors in this room, in addition to all the things that were said up there, not in contradiction to any of it, because I think it's great. I think that if we're going to build relationships, we have to stop hanging out with people who look like us. We have to. We have to engage people of different cultures, different races, different music styles and worship styles. We have to not just in church on an annual day once a year where we switch pulpits and sing Kumbaya, but we have to go to lunch with each other and we have to create a bridge whereby people who do not see what we see can have the Ezekiel experience. Like if you're going to feed the hungry or if you're going to do some coat drive for homeless people, instead of doing it on your own by yourself, go get that church that normally wouldn't be involved in that area and invite them to partner with you and let them come down and see what we see and meet the people and find out that these people aren't just laying down here taking bubble baths and welfare money and saying, isn't this wonderful? These people are desperate, distraught, hungry, alienated, and in trouble and we need to make sure that the powers that be in the church do not remain oblivious and sometimes willingly ignorant to the plight of our community. We contribute to that ignorance because we respond to it by isolation. And so I'm challenging every pastor in this room to go get various cultures, not just whites, Hispanics, Asians, all others, and tell them to meet you at the food pantry. Let's build the food pantry together. Let's sponsor it together. Let's work on it together. And don't just take the check. Don't just take the check. I want boots on the ground, in the city, walking the streets, feeling and touching the pain of people. I just don't believe that you could know Jesus and meet some of these people and not carry their cause all the way up to White House. As long as you don't meet it, and that incidentally was the excuse in South Africa that allowed the apartheid to flourish so long. They said it just wasn't on our radar. It wasn't on our radar. And people were being killed and murdered and babies burned. And they said, we just didn't really realize it. That excuse we have all got to contribute to killing it before it is our babies that are on fire amazing bishop jakes thank you this has been amazing everyone did you enjoy this april can we do a simple thing let's get together and let everybody who's got a phone take a picture of us together Okay, yeah. Hashtag it. Hashtag. Tweet it out. Tweet, break and, the Twitter. And whatever issue that spoke to you the most strongly, yes. put it on the ticket and reach your constituency. Can you do that? And the other thing I want you to do, April just did this book at Mama's Knee. 
mothers and race in black and white. She interviewed black mothers and white mothers. It's a powerful, provocative, newly released book. Are you going to sign? I'm doing a book signing thanks to you here, yes. Okay, after this? After this, sir, yes. Okay, she's going to be signing the book after this. If you don't get anything else, (laughs) get this book. It is really, really important. And share it with your women's groups, with your reading clubs. Make it your book of the month and take it up and read it. If we run out, they can get some more. They have them in your city. And make it a book of the month. Start a reading club. Start a reading club in your church. You don't have to meet to do it. Just start a reading club. When your children see you read, it Mm -hmm. makes them long to be smart. Hashtag PL2017. Let's start a trend. Let's start a trend until everybody wants to know what is PL2017. One more time, give it up for this great panel. We're getting ready to go into service in just a moment. April's going to be signing her book. I want her to leave here with her hand just all gnarled where we have to get olive oil and pray for her. Okay? Gnarl her up, children. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. I am so happy that you came and expressed your opinion. Whatever it was, we appreciate it. If you like listening to the podcast, there's plenty more available for free. Do us a favor and let us know you are listening by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you're consuming the podcast.